My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for The Avengers. <laughs> I am here today with the esteemed Christian Mutalansky. No, you can you can just call me the other guy. <laughs> and the other other guy with a Avengers tagline, Kelly Wand. What do you call a group that's always too late to save anybody? The Avengers. But, the eulogists. But 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 they do save people. The aristocrats. <laughs> no, they don't. Well, you know what? Let's table that for a later discussion because we will, their job be, we will be discussing and spoiling the Avengers. But before we do that, in case you haven't seen the Avengers, and you're not fooling me because I know you have, but in case you haven't, we're going to be spoiler-free for a brief moment while Dingus explains to everyone what we did this past week. Dingus, take it away. All right, well, this week we saw The Avengers. Mm. Uh, it's also titled Marvel Avengers Assemble in the U.K. and Ireland. Mm. Really? This is a 2012 American superhero action-adventure sci-fi comedy movie <laughs> Wow! about a group of heroes learning to collaborate. Oh, that's original. It was directed by Joss Whedon and written by him with Zach Penn, based on comic book work of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I see where this is going. (laughs) Me too. The movie stars Clark Gregg, Kobe Smulders, and Tom Hiddleston, and a bunch of awesome people you already know about. The Avengers is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action throughout, and a mild drug reference. Huh? Also, the word quim. Uh, Too mm. soon. All of this means it's perfectly fine to take babies to it. (laughs) And only babies. Yeah, especially on a Saturday afternoon. Babies, it's target demographic. Uh, all right, so uh, the Avengers, I had a brief conversation with Dingus after we saw this movie about how well it would do over the weekend. Uh, Dingus made some observation about it. I think it's going to make $119 million. And I thought I thought that was really silly, and it was kind of endearing and indicative of how little Dingus knows about the world of box office. And I, I politely informed him that that's very sweet and that's cute, but there's no way this thing was going to make that much money. It's probably going to make like $80 million. And Avengers went on to open at $200 million. <laughs> it is now the number one box office opening weekend of all time, handily unseating the previous number one, which was one of the freaking Harry Potter movies that made $170 million. Uh, and Avengers officially says to Harry Potter, suck it. What's it say to The Scream, which was also auctioned off this week for... Uh... Hundred million? Yeah, it says suck it to that too. So Avengers could have bought two copies of Edward Munch's The Scream. That's right. So suck it, Scream and Harry Potter and Hunger Games. By the way, that's, that's the Scream. Yeah, and the games. Uh, so let's see. Edward Munch's The Scream on Metacritic is at ninety-eight. 
Whereas Josh 2% Green, go, fuck that. Yeah, that's right. Totally overrated. <laughs> Scream harder than that. Well, no, no, Kelly Wan, you've already screwed up how Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes works. Uh, Rotten oh. Tomatoes is how many people say screw that and how many people like it. So on Rotten Tomatoes, the Avengers is at, I think, 93%. You know what? I screwed up my work, but I'm pretty sure I remember. 93% of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes are positive. You call it work. Seven percent are negative. Sometimes Kelly Wan typing stuff into a browser bar is work. I wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, on Metacritic, which is where the ratings figure in, you know what does a, what score does a review assign to a, a, a game or a TV show or a movie? At Metacritic, it averages at sixty nine. So Metacritic is a little bit more reserved. Whereas Rotten Tomatoes is like, yeah, everybody loves the Avengers. Whereas Metacritic is basically saying, well, sure, maybe everybody loves it, but they only love it this much. And that's the critics. If you look at the user rating on Metacritic, there's a much more enthusiastic reaction to the Avengers. Uh, so, hey, Tom, I think Metacritic griefers are making it 69 on purpose and skewing it because they think that number's funny. Well, you know what? So does the movie The Goon. <laughs> which, uh, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Go back, listen to our Goon podcast. They uh, they uh, are quite fond of the number sixty nine, and I think the Raven might have been like sixty nine on. No, nah, I forget. But yeah, so uh, sixty nine, a funny number according to Kelly Wand, uh, and it's where the event. <laughs> well, where there's he... not many other funny numbers at all, are there? Eighty three is not that great. Uh, I get a little chuckle out of seventy seven. Uh, get just it? Just because. All oh, right. <laughs> Two thumbs up your ass. Whoa, wait, what? Whoa, what kind of math? So there we go. We will not spoil the Avengers, except now we will. (laughs) We, Tom and Dingus, will not spoil it. But Kelly Wan, why don't you uh, walk folks through the events of the Avengers, just just blow by blow, tell everybody what happens, basically give a recap, or I don't know, do you have a better word for what we could call this? Oh, and a... Uh, the Venge Sisters is. I'm not even going to attempt that, but what you just said, do that, rock and roll. Hey, before this movie started, I was Joss getting my weed on. <laughs> but, <clears throat> I feel like that would be part of the synopsis. I didn't know where to put that, so there it is. Okay, it's like the prologue, the over yeah. the overture to the synopsis, and now the curtain is rising. To so wet your appetite for this. Endless rambling. Remember how I said they're supposed to be like the movie, so when this is long and rambling and occasionally okay, then that's supposed to be like the movie. It's not because I'm, like, not super talented. (laughs) After five movie Easter eggs to work me into a lather, at last, the Avengers! My favorite Silver Age supergroup after X-Men, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, JLA, whatever those dudes with Cuckoo Man, Rope Man, and Tornado Man were called, the Garbage Pail Kids, the Eternals, the Defenders, the New Mutants, Alpha Flight, Marvel Team-Up, and What If. (laughs) Fighting their most emblematic foe and everyone's favorite Marvel supervillain ever, Loki. (laughs) (sighs) Wrote fart sound in brackets for that one. (laughs) Written by visionary alien resurrection scribe Joss Whedon. And all of them fighting over everyone's favorite MacGuffin, the blue CG cube that did nothing in Captain America. Research upgrade for comics non-fans Tom and Dingus. In the comics, it was called the Cosmic Cube. 
but like Bucky, Donald, Blake, and Dazzler, that was too fruity for modern American audiences, so now they call it a Tesseract. Loki's scepter also has blue CG in it, but they just call it a scepter. A scepter. Where'd he get it? Who gives a shit? Awesome. Nick Fury, who's pretty creative with tax dollars throughout this movie, has a killer gig at the moment overseeing an archer named Hawkeye, overseeing Stellan Skarsgård, and a bunch of extras overseeing the Tesseract do nothing in an underground crater that undersees the Earth. <laughs> Just to reiterate, since this thing is a power source that can open doorways to other universes, he has an archer with zero superpowers named Hawk keeping an eye on things from a distant skybox. I see better from a distance, Hawkeye tells him. Awesome, a far-sighted archer. Stellan Skarsgård is, I think, an already infected zombie with blue eyes when the movie starts. But Nick Fury, Hawkeye, nobody else on staff has noticed this for months. Good thing he didn't have to fill out any paperwork all that time. It probably would have been in Norse. And the paper would have been ice cold. The cube's blue CG is acting 2% less particle routine than something. So Nick Fury tells Skarsgård to, quote, turn it off. Skarsgård's all, uh, it's a power source. Those, like, don't shut off, brah. Lulz, Fury didn't know that, and he's in charge of this operation. Mace Windu is Marvel's Jar Jar. But it's not racist, because Sam Jackson's not black. He's made of CG. Anyway, it seems Fury shrewdly also didn't anticipate an omnipotent MacGuffin being a lightning rod for supervillains, because Loki attacks and kills everybody. But Fury, presumably since living a buffoon in charge of the opposition, makes trickery easier. Loki also evilly tells Hawkeye, You have heart! And taps his scepter over the right side of his chest. Or his heart isn't. But it still turns him into a zombie with blue eyes but who can still shoot arrows really good and telepathically know, quote, what his next target is. I guess if any of the Avengers are going to get turned evil, you want it to be Hawkeye or Cap. Loki destroys the facility on his way out and kills everyone who works there, only after which Fury's all, from this moment on, we're at war. Yeah, fuck you, hundreds of U.S. citizens who just died in this place prior to this moment. Your deaths weren't enough to justify war, because as the Constitution clearly states... War can only be declared by a one-eyed black dude standing by a crater in a desert talking to himself. Rank sergeant. Although the barn's kind of already burned down, and I thought he already recruited all these fuckheads in the Easter eggs of the earlier movies, including two previous Hulks, now he has to recruit them all again, no matter what they're in the middle of. Forget the fun bags. Scarlett Johansson's greatest asset in this film is the greatest Russian accent since Liam Neeson's The Widowmaker. What? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I meant in the Widowmaker, but who gives? It's not relevant. Or Jeremy Irons. I'd like to put a little red in her ledger. Captain America's pissed off because he survived a plane crash and his dance moves are all out of date now. So he's taking out on a bunch of punching bags full of sand instead of just one wall. I guess if he carried all those punching bags in there himself and knew in advance exactly how many he'd need that day. He's not too issues-laden. Does jingoism count? Iron Man's excitingly making his new New York skyscraper run on clean, interdimensional CG by putting a thing into some cable underwater. <laughs> the where'd you receive your training guy from Thor? This is the ten, first ten minutes, night after the movie. Yet. 
And where'd you receive your training guy from Thor and New Adventures of Old Christine? Shows up to give him some 3D CG mocaps of guys in line to buy nachos at Comic-Con. And Tony Stark's all, I don't know, and jerks his thumb at Gwyneth Paltrow and makes a donut of his thumb and forefinger and then pokes his index finger into it repeatedly and shrugs again. But she comes over and tells him he should fly around and blow shit up first before they fuck. He's all, uh, something witty, but what do I get to do to you when I'm done flying around and blowing up shit? And she leans in and presses her body against his body and whispers, I just farted on your cock. Clang. They also send Scarlett Johansson to Mexico to collect tortured, scrawny, Hulk-hating Bruce Banner. Except that he's not tortured or scrawny. He's a handsome wiseacre, just like all the other male Avengers, except Chris Evans, who, since he was a handsome wiseacre in his last supergroup, has to be the resident stuffed shirt of this one. <laughs> so the audience doesn't get confused by all the characterization. <laughs> Iron Man captures Loki by threatening him with his palm. Thor also shows up to fight Iron Man to the death over Loki and to resume his love affair with Natalie Portman, but fails at all these. Not getting to see Portman reprise phoning in her role as a jeep-driving love interest, I think he kissed once, saddens him greatly. But he's told she's like a hundred miles away and not doing anything. It's not like he can fly or call her. For some reason, Nick Fury has them all land on an aircraft carrier out in the middle of the ocean that then takes off into the air, which is kind of dumb since they arrive by air, and half of them can fly anyway. But as the Hulk, their smartest member, points out, being in the air with the Hulk's even dumber than being underwater with the Hulk. Or for that matter, the Hulk. And they're all... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hulk smart. Then the flying aircraft carrier turns invisible for a couple seconds, although for the rest of the movie, while it's under attack, it stays visible for some reason. Then Cap tips Fury $10 for no reason and goes, thanks, Cap, fetch it. <laughs> Jim Crow jokes are cool, but sorry, kids, no Black Panther movie. The Avengers and Loki and Nick Fury fly around in the fucking aircraft carrier and do nothing and wait for shit to go wrong. Thor walks around the deck and says something like, this aircraft carrier is a real bibliotech. And Iron Man's all, what's that? And Thor's all, giant wolfhounds, really repulsive. You won't see them in the movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> Cap finds a couple stormtrooper helmets and some kite string and a box of Excelsior by the craft services table and confronts Fury about it by saying, you're using the cube to make weapons of mass destruction. Everybody starts arguing at once. Some of the kind of compelling, thoughtful stuff about the role of deterrence and thorny legalities as superpowers, but since no one can win arguments or fights in superhero movies against other superheroes for fear of offending that dude's fan base, some music plays over it, and Loki gets free, and Dark Hawkeye shows up, and explosions in the brunette chick, whose character is that she's the only Agent Fury talks to, and Banner turns into Hulk and promptly starts chasing Black Widow for no reason, and is about to fatally backhand her, but then somebody saves her. Wow, as expected and covered repeatedly by the plot so far, the Hulk's totally uncontrollable and a horrible fit for a supergroup. Hmm. Things go awesomely. Iron Man tells Cap to pull a red lever and blow into a duck-shaped life preserver while he does some technical shit in a rotor blade with a fondue fork and some gauze pads, which he says is their only hope of not all crashing to death and dying. Although the fact that the Hulk's still rampaging throughout the ship's bowels during this conversation would likely affect this damage report by orders of magnitude any second. Why'd Fury want them airborne in this thing again? So far HQ-wise, the dude's 0 for 2. 
but it's not racist. They repel the attack, but get scattered, and don't bother to regroup immediately, which I assume was because they actually did get scattered during the battle and can't all fly, but the movie seems to want me to think it means the group's broken up forever. Tragically, but I guess bravely, since it ends tragically. Phil forgets Loki's backstab trick, but then bravely tricks him into getting shot by one of those awesome weapons of mass destruction that Cap was so horrified by. Oh, so that's what that does, Phil says bravely. Apparently he means jack shit, since Loki's totally unscratched in the next scene. He died for nothing. By contrast, the shield casualties were so severe, only one masked medic slash makeup artist can be spared to pat the smudge on the brunette chick's cheek. <laughs> Morale among the Avengers is so low that when Thor finds his hammer in a field, it takes him ten minutes of screen time and six cutaways to other shit happening for him to pick it up, even though he could have just called it to his hand. <laughs> oh, this part. I'm nervous now. Banner's nude, but predictably unscratched in the suit of honor at a rubble warehouse. But luckily, Harry Dean Stanton's there to hand him a pair of pants with a belt on them. Banner puts them on, sticks a hand down the back, raises it, and sniffs with distaste. That pair's mine, Harry Dean Stanton says, pointing down at his exposed nuts with wisps of mouse-colored pubes wafting in the breeze for emphasis, although he actually means the pants. Then he points to some steaming rags pouring a hole through the concrete over in the corner. Your pants are over there, what's left of them. Never seen a green skid mark before. Sure didn't taste like no shamrock shake. I never done licked. He licks his lower lip. Never mind. Banner's all, you strike me as a motorcycle. And pulls Harry Dean's wallet out of the pants pocket and puts on his haggling face. Nick Fury tricks all these superpowered dipshits into working together by stealing some near-mint bubblegum cards from poor dead Phil's locker, smearing their owner's blood and brains all over them so they're worthless and telling them they have to go lay, lay waste to New York now. Because that's obviously where Loki's going. Because it's the only city. They agree, even Thor, who's still in the field and not part of this conversation. They go to New York which is promptly invaded by fucking boring-ass video game aliens, along with some giant flying H.R. Geiger snakes who just sort of ripple around menacingly. Perhaps understandably, considering the events of the movie thus far, the U.S. government loses faith in Nick Fury and decides to nuke New York, kind of like they did at the end of X-Men First Class, except this time along with 10 million New Yorkers, on the off chance it'll kill a couple dudes coming out of the portal at the same time. Luckily, since this is a kid's movie, this will have zero geopolitical consequences for anyone in the government and be forgiven instantly by the civilian population. Usually I don't like message movies, but in this case I can't argue. Thor tries to get Loki to abruptly become good and abandon his mad schemes for power by telling him, We can be friends together! But Loki tricks him by stabbing him in the pancreas with a needle. Banner also shows up on a motorcycle from North Carolina, and when they ask him to suit up, he goes... Don't worry, I'm always angry, and becomes Hulk instantly. Uh, wouldn't that have just made him the Hulk all the time? For some reason, this time, he not only isn't angry, but he abruptly proceeds to become the funniest, cleverest, and most versatile <laughs> member of the group, and even saves Iron Man from falling a few hundred feet, which normally doesn't do shit to him anyway. Luckily, Obama's nuke blows up the alien mothership the size of Wyoming and the other universe, and Iron Man gets out just in time because Scarlett Johansson touches the cube with the scepter. Hooray for Russia! For some reason, instead of cutting Loki's head off, they put handcuffs on him and Thor takes him to the dark universe that the Portal 2 just closed forever. Fury, who isn't fired or promoted, disobeys orders again to entrust the cube to Thor to put somewhere on the Rainbow Bridge just south of Candyland where Loki can grab it again for the sequel. That's the best 
Iron Man, married but drinking again. Hawkeye and Black Widow, probably fucking. Although Jeremy Renner's been tapped to be the next Hulk, so we better hurry. And Cap, <laughs> dancing in front of the mirror. One last Lindy Hop with a punching bag. He's named after a British chick he loved back in the 40s. Although when he leans in for the kiss, he calls it FDR. The end. <laughs> Uh, Kelly, what if I haven't told you lately, you uh, you are a national treasure. Thank you. I belong to the world now, Tom. <laughs> Just like the engine. I, I, I refuse to believe you belong to the world. You're ours. I'm sort of their Hawkeye. <laughs> you wow. better hurry. You've been tapped to play the next Hulk. Uh, ah. See, Kelly, uh, people are making jokes about your jokes. It's now a trope. Yes. Kelly Wand, so... Uh, why don't you go first? What did you think of this enormously successful movie? Uh, well, I just want to go on record as saying that I'm kind of thinking superhero movies are going to be really embarrassing 30 years from now. And they'll okay. look back on by our descendants with horror. <laughs> um, but having said that... First hour is really boring and mediocre, like all the Marvel movies except Iron Man 1. And then in the last 20 minutes, there's some good Hulk bits. So it's like the lamest supergroup movie, but the awesomest Hulk movie. Okay. Now, uh, you are... Do you, do you know... You're not a comic book guy, Kelly Wan. Not really, I right? was into the Avengers in the early 80s when it was like Vision and the Scarlet Witch. And oh, I don't even know. I don't. I, I can't. I have no idea what you're saying. I don't understand any of what know. you just said. Uh, so that, that answers my question there. Uh, there was also a, an Avenger... One of the first Avengers' his names was Giant Man. Guess what his power was. That's good. That's a little on the nose. I would understand that one. Giant, man. Uh-huh. All right, so you're kind of so-so about this. Um, I think Joss Whedon's a little overrated. Mm-hmm. I like Firefly, and I think Cabin in the Woods is brilliant, but it, I didn't really watch Buffy, and I think he ruined Alien forever. Um, but Who's I Who's in know. Alien forever? <laughs> that was the Val Kilmer one, wasn't it? Ouch. <laughs> I remember. Uh, all right, well, Dingus, you go next, then. Uh, I'm the only one. I think that's only me, though. Because at work, it was like, oh, it's Avengers. Oh, it's like 200 million. I mean, what do I know? People just want to see. It's like an Ocean's Eleven for nerds. Okay. Okay, well, the Dingus and I being not comic book guys, let's let's see how it works for non-nerd. Actually, I'm a nerd. I'm just not a comic book nerd. And Dingus is a nerd. He's just not a comic book, video game, sci-fi, fantasy or tech nerd. He's just general nerd. Uh, so Dingus, as a guy who's none of those, how did this movie work for you? I think that just means idiot. If you if you strip away all those other things. Now, Dingus, don't be so hard on yourself. No, come on, you're a nerd. You're, you can you, be you, both. Oh, thank <laughs> you, uh, Kelly. That was that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Wow. Oh. Uh, and I will, I will go ahead and step forward and say I, I fucking love this movie. God, me too, Kelly Wan. What's the matter with you? I thought we I'm were just, just gonna have. Out. No, in a way, I'm so glad, Kelly Wan, because I, I just this, this was like, I mean, this, this, the, the best thing I can say about this movie, uh, and I can't say this really about any other comic book movies, even something like Dark Knight. The best thing I can say about the Avengers is it made me wish I was a comic book nerd. It made me think, holy cats, what have I been missing out on? You know, what must it have been like to be a kid and to have all this stuff presented to you? Because I, I don't know the Avengers from the Justice League or whatever. Uh, so, I, I, good Lord, I love this thing. What about the Teen Titans? 
aren't they just the Avengers when they were teenagers? Uh... <laughs> See? See, I don't know any of that stuff, and this made me feel like, unlike any other comic, uh, comic book movie, you know, I see the Spider-Man movies, and I'm like, yeah, that was fun, whatever. Never made me wish I'd read Spider-Man. This movie made me think, wow, I, I wished I'd known more about Thor or Captain America. Or, tell me. It made me wish that I'd been into that stuff. Uh, tell, me, tell me if this sounds awesome to you. There's like this 30-issue story arc in Thor, like in the 80s, where Odin caused fake Ragnarok so they wouldn't be beholden to the prophecies, and that's where he loses his eye, and Thor's like, what? All those people died. You suck. And then he left Asgard. Uh, what sounds awesome to me, I don't know, that doesn't do anything for me. What sounds awesome to me is superheroes having having funny conversations with each other. Superheroes talking to each other. You, you know, so much of a comic book is that speech bubble stuff. And this movie made me think, wow, people can put really funny, clever, interesting things in those speech bubbles. You know, this this was a movie that made me think maybe there's stuff worth reading in comic books because if this is what a guy like Joss Whedon gets out of it, is the, you know, I assume he grew up with this stuff. If this is what, as a grown man who's a good writer, produces after being fed this stuff as a kid, wow, those speech bubbles must have been pretty awesome. So I, I don't know anything about fake Ragnarok or that that stuff, but it, you know, having that having that conversation between Loki and Thor where he he basically says, you know, come home. That right there, like that was uh, comic book does. What? In between moments of dudes punching each other, you have these interesting conversations, and that's what I feel that Avengers really achieved. Which which had better conversations for you, this movie or the first half of X Men First Class with Magneto and? Uh... Well, see, that's the thing is I I, I came out of X Men First Class, and, and Dingus will get you in here in a second because this directly goes to what you've said before. X Men First Class didn't do much for me, but I loved. As we all did, that conversation between Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy, where the, uh, you know where they move the, the the radar dish and one of them cries. I don't even remember the specifics, but there was a great conversation in the middle of that X Men movie. I feel like the Avengers had those conversations throughout. Nah. <laughs> okay. Rebuttal. Dingus thoughts. Yeah, Dingus getting that before I gush for the entire uh, show. Dingus, what my thoughtful answer to Tom's gobbledy? <laughs> well, Kelly, you you said something about the first hour being uh, slow and boring. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, I'll stick by that. Oh, that that's absolutely fine. What I love about that fact is that I was totally nervous, and and Tom said a year ago, I think maybe uh, that. That he was just looking at the Avengers as I think your your quote was this this uh, as if this bulldozer was just pushing all this material oh. and characters and crap into this movie that we're going to have to watch this summer. Uh, and well, well, th- well, his point was valid, and I, and I just kept thinking about that image of this bulldozer pushing all of this crap into this movie, and and this filmmaker and these writers having to. Uh, pay homage to all of these actors, these big actors, and find a way to give them all a moment. And I just thought we were going to be in for this frenzy of trying to get everybody in and all these moments in. And all I could think of that... The Ocean's 12 analogy, Dingus, that that, that Kelly Wand made. I mean, I could totally imagine this being like this this self-serving, self-indulgent Ocean's 12 kind of deal. Exactly. That's exactly it. And somehow I found myself in that first hour going... We're just sitting here listening to people talk, and it's going slow, and I love that. I loved hearing these conversations between people, and somehow everybody got their due. I don't know how they did that. 
And it still feels like a movie full of action and full of humor and, and excitement. And still, every every one of these characters, I feel like I got an idea of who they were and I got a feel of their dynamics with each other. I'm, I'm amazed that that happens because I, I was expecting sort of a Michael Bay frenzy. And I feel that ultimately, you know, the same thing that I had reservations about is that it was just, this is just, you know, this is a franchise being built from other movies. You know, all these other movies are like tributaries, and they're pouring into this this big self-indulgent river, and it's just going to be silly. Uh, but as far as that paying off, that tactic paying off, I, I sort of feel like like creatively and absolutely commercially, this was the biggest coup of a, of a sort of a risky tactic since the Hobbit movies, you know, where they think, hey, let's take this thing with nerd appeal, this fantasy stuff, and let's just throw a bunch of money into Peter Jackson's lap. Let's make him shoot all three of them at once. We'll, we'll, we'll stretch it out over several years. We'll see if we can get that to work. I never would have thought that would work. I would have thought, oh, that's silly. And I love the Hobbit movies now. And I felt the same way about the Avengers. I never would have thought this would have worked. Getting all these disparate stars together and characters and creative inputs and getting them to work together and it it just worked marvelously. I thought you put you put Avengers on a level with Lord of the Rings movies. You know what I do, Kelly Wand. I do really? just as far yeah as far as being mm. just this great other world and and this incredibly enthusiastic, well made movie. I mean, it doesn't have the, the resonance and the vision that I get out of the Lord of the Rings stuff um, because I feel it's a bit more the the material's a bit lighter. Uh, it's a bit more frivolous, and I don't necessarily mean that as as a way of denigrating it, uh, just as an observation. Uh, you know, there's there's weighty moral stuff going on in Lord of the Rings that the Avengers doesn't really care about. The yeah. Avengers is just a bunch of dudes jumping around, having fun, punching each other, and then occasionally having these these, these interesting conversations from different perspectives. Um, but yes, as far as entertainment goes, I thought this was every bit as as good as as the Lord of the Rings movies. Mm. You can just say nah. no. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, on action and dialogue, I think it's not as good. Although it has good moments, it's worth seeing. Maybe I got left behind. Maybe the flaws with me and not the movie. I got the sense of just playing well. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I just, I really felt like Dingus said, you know, for for such a, a vast, sprawling project, it did such a great job of giving everybody a, a moment. You, you know, there, there, there didn't seem like there was any filler. Like it, it felt taut. It felt lean. It, it. it uh, you know, like that that Loki and Thor, you just come home conversation. There were those like with with Tony Stark and David Banner. There were great moments between uh, Hawkeye and whoever Scarlett Johansson was. Uh, the, the Captain Gosh, America, Tony Stark stuff. Uh, you know, uh, Tony Stark and Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, and even the Phil Coulson guy. You know, it was kind of manipulative the way they kill him, and his little death speech felt very Joss Whedon, very, very much like Wash is, you know, I'm a leaf in the wind stuff from the, the Serenity movie. Like I, I saw a lot of that, and it seemed manipulative, but it worked. It was effectively manipulative, and the little twist with the with Nick Fury using that to manipulate the heroes even was this kind of, they knew it was manipulative, and uh, so yeah, even though I could see through some of the gimmicks, I just thought it was really, really effective. Um, um, as a Thor apologist, I was having trouble buying into the world for some reason. Like it didn't live it, and maybe it's. Did you guys see it in three D? Because maybe I fucked no, myself. No, no. Uh, maybe I, maybe I screwed myself. You saw it in three D. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think it's <laughs> definitely. Dings and I actually saw it together, and we definitely wanted to avoid seeing it in three D. So, yeah. what was was it not good three D, or was it just uh, some crappy Canadian theater? What happened with the three D? 
What's that supposed to mean? They have three D up here. Yeah, but it can't be very good. It's not the third world. <laughs> Come on, Canadian three D. Yeah, exactly. It's like Canadian uh, beer. It can't be that good. Three uh, <laughs> D would be better in the third world, wouldn't it? Hey, theirs don't break like Dingus's did in America. Ah, good point. Yeah. In America, there was uh, oh, and there was a commercial before the movie where they went. We're called Canada, not Canada. Don't. That's what we're about. <laughs> okay. For real. I'll put you a lesson you. <laughs> Thank you. I will. I will definitely take that under advisement. But the point being, yeah, yeah. Uh, a 3D does fuck up a movie, and I don't know why I was trying to punish myself. But the only thing I remember being in 3D throughout the whole movie was the cube. So what's that tell you? Because it's a 3D object. Yeah, I never even the weird. Like flying worms, weren't those awesome in 3D? No, they didn't do anything. They didn't fire. What were they? He goes through the butthole of it. I mean, that's the same as the Legolas, but that's that's see, they tricked Tom. Legolas never went into a Muma kill. He never killed one from within. He went on the spine. He's just on the outside of the spinal butt. It's the same <laughs> fucking thing. He could have gone out inside. If Iron Man can fly, Legolas is the Iron Man of the uh, Middle Earth, right? Better you better clench up, Legolas. I guess Gimli would be Iron Man. Aragorn's Captain America. Even Kelly Wand, the... Yes, uh, Hawk, I would be Legolas. You know, normally, yes. normally the CG stuff, which normally drives me crazy. I don't like it. And good Lord, sitting through the credits of this movie was like a who's who of CG. You know, they had ILM, they had Weta, they had Digital Domain, they had our buddies at Hydraulics who did that horrible Skyline movie, but also produced Take Shelter. Like, like this was, like I say, a who's who of CG, and I loved the CG uh, in this. They even, did Skyline. Right, stuff. Skyline. In the movie, in this movie, they ripped themselves off. Oh, they used their Skyline assets? Did you think that? Because <laughs> the portal in the sky didn't that make you go, Oh, oh you know skyline. what? I didn't even think of that, Kelly Wand. Very good. I'd forgotten Skyline so much that, yes. I'm only interrupting because right. I thought you were saying that. What's really weird like, is that I remember uh, just a couple years ago, those credits used to be attributed to actual moments or actual actual cg sequences. moments where like yeah sequences right so each each cg house would be credited to a certain thing and that's not going on anymore i wonder if it's just parceled out differently i'm guessing that it's like i don't know that it's parceled out differently and i actually have no idea but i'm guessing they just don't do that in the credits uh yeah, yeah I'm, I'm i'm assuming it's still done that way but i, I don't know uh, tom what were you saying before i gibbered about Skyline? well i just want to say i even the cg stuff i really liked like i thought even the cg sequences which is normally oh let's show dudes punching each other in cg had a lot of great personality in them and i think specifically right. of the one really gratuitous bit where it's an un you know there's no cut the camera's just flying around manhattan showing the different fights and it's making a point of showing little bits of relationships. So even though it's just a CG action sequence, if you you know it's a blink and you miss it kind of thing, but you see things like Iron Man shooting a beam that bounces off Captain America's shield, or yeah. uh, the Hulk you know taking an armor or a, a, scale, a shard of a scale off of the worm and you know slamming it into the worm, and then Thor hitting it in with his hammer. Like, like even the throwaway CG stuff would have cool little moments like that that sort of set up the cooperation amongst the team, or you know like the Hulk. Loki's gimmick where he's saying how dare you talk to me that way I'm a god where the Hulk interrupts him and slams him around <laughs> yeah. you know that, that that was like CG with personality and meaning and I just I loved the CG in this both those are totally worth the price of admission I totally agree 
Well, and even stuff like, you know, the, the fight in the woods, the, uh, the Shakespeare in the park bit, you know, between, uh, uh, let's see. So it eventually, it, it, it's initially just Thor and Iron Man and then Captain America joins in, you know, like all of that stuff I loved. It's sort of like each action set piece had some personality and a lot of times even was a little bit of character development. Um, so I love the CG in this, and, and I felt guilty for it because I kept thinking every time a CG sequence would come up, I just heard Kelly Wan's voice in my head going, the CG of the CG and the CG CG. Um, <laughs> but I just still, I loved it so much. Like uh, like when they're landing the uh, the wounded uh, hovercraft in, to, in New York, uh, I just thought of this moment when the, the way Joss Whedon has Serenity flying. Ah, yes, just, yes. He understands how to do those things without making them appear fake and giving them this feeling of weight. We know exactly, Dingus. He's had experience with it. Like, this is clearly a guy who knows how to build CG into his movie. Like, that was the impression that I got. Uh, he's a guy whose character's first and foremost, and the CG should be in service of that, and it should be effective, and here's how it should work. Yeah. And also, Dingus, like, I remember the Serenity movie, and I roll this out a lot, so I'll roll it out again, and I apologize if it's sounding trite, but I remember that the Serenity movie had a lot of kind of made-for-TV approaches to some of the action sequences, and they felt kind of cheap, and I don't know if that was a budgetary thing or if that was Whedon just having had so much experience in TV, but I, whatever my concerns were that this might be present in the Avengers, completely dispelled. This this looked grand. It, it looked cinematic. Uh, the action sequences were epic. Like there was no trace of. There's nothing I can say about the Avengers that felt made for TV. Uh, I, I feel like you know Joss Whedon. He's now a movie director every bit as much as Brad Bird was in in that last Mission Impossible movie. This this movie was just so freaking cinematic. I thought. <laughs> Kelly Wan, you sound so pained that I'm saying these things. <laughs> <laughs> I do like those two shots you mentioned, but that's why I mean it stirs to life. Like I, I was, I wasn't very engaged in. It seemed like a lot of them were just truncated scenes where nothing conclusive happened till the last one. I don't know. I guess I rate battles by body counts. Maybe I'm. Uh, well, here's another thing that I was thinking about, Kelly Wan. Like, I don't think they shied away from this idea. Like, they didn't conspicuously show people crawling out. You know, the, the classic PG car chase is the hero gets away and the cop car turns over, and then there's a conspicuous shot of the cops crawling out of the turned-over cop car to make sure they're okay. I, To its credit, I, I mean, I got the, the sense after watching The Avengers that, you know, a couple hundred people died in Manhattan that day. And then the movie didn't seem to shy away from that. Right, he killed 80 people in one day. Oh, wait, where was it? There wasn't 80 body counts. That was in the underground. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. So if 80 people died there, imagine how many people died in Manhattan. And I don't think they shied away from that. Uh, Uh, But but one of the best, one of the only moments I liked about Thor is the rejoinder to that. I'm going to use Dotted. That was kind of (laughs) good. That was so nice. Oh, God, that's right. Oh, that hurt my stomach. That was so awesome. Well, and that's the thing, too, is those little those 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 look great on paper, those little gags. But here we had both the cast and the director to really sell it with timing. You know, Chris Hemsworth, whatever, he does not strike me as a guy who's really good at comedy. But man, 
he nailed that line. And certainly, uh, Joss Whedon knew exactly how much to let uh, Robert Downey Jr. do his Robert Downey Jr. shtick. Uh, the timing of things like Hulk's gratuitous punch to Thor after they're catching their breath. Like, just so many little gags like that just were just pitch perfect, I felt. Um, Robert Downey Jr. seemed revitalized in this. I yeah, mean, he, yeah. he just seemed so bored at the end of Iron Man 2 and even Sherlock yeah. Holmes. Yeah, I think that's what's going on, Dingus, is at last he's got good material and he knows it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's, it, it feels like he's being reined in a little bit and he's working against people like Mark Ruffalo, who's going to give him a run for his money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you imagine this with Edward Norton? Like, I can't imagine Edward Norton really playing nice with others as far as being a cast member. Uh, <laughs> Uh, or even poor Eric Bana. I mean, I like them just fine. But uh, just Mark Ruffalo was so good. I remember having a lot of reservations about, oh, Mark Ruffalo is going to be the Hulk dude. He's going to all be CG. They're not going to do much with him. He'll just be a stand-in. But no, he was so good. And I was so glad to see him in there. He's so good. And it almost feels like the two of them are flirting a little bit. And I love that they let that play out a yeah. little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... <laughs> That's not the character at all. He's supposed to weigh 90 pounds. And you know what's weird? Um, this movie even made me appreciate, and this this is be- because of things that Tom said d- during the podcast. I didn't care for the Captain America movie, but because I didn't see the point of doing that movie, and now I see it. it the contrast of that character, uh-huh. the non-cynicism, and, and what he brings to it, and then all of the machinery that Tom liked so much in that movie so pays off here. Uh, that I appreciate Captain America movie much more uh, watching this one. And I will say that one little bit where they explain away why Natalie Portman isn't around. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that right there did far more to establish a relationship between Natalie Portman and Chris Hemsworth yeah, than anything that they did in the Thor movie. <laughs> She's <laughs> pregnant, by the way. Uh, that's why she couldn't make it. At least they got Harry Dean Stanton then. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Come on, Kelly. One, tell me you did not love hearing Harry Dean Stanton saying the words "buck ass nude." <laughs> Wait, he was looking at the Hulk's dick. One, two, three. Not only you and me got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between. One, two, three. Um, so does Captain America think Bush was awesome? Hey, Tom. Do you know who uh, who uh, the director of photography on this movie? There's director of photography. Dean Cundy. No, who? I didn't. I didn't recognize his name. Who? She, his name's Seamus McGarvey. Oh, oh no, no, I didn't. Very long uh, and he is. He was responsible for getting Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, was he? Yeah. Mm. No, wait. Why are you bringing up Seamus McGarvey? Because he uh, he cinematography a little movie called Districted, the Death Valley version. Ooh. <laughs> Wow. Kelly Wan, I want you to rent a movie called Districted and fast forward to the scene, the sequence called Death Valley. Will you do that for us, Kelly Wan? That's not a word. Say a real word. No, Districted is not a word, but it is the name of a movie. Districted. Yes. (laughs) Districted. Uh, You know, I could have talked about Avengers all night. Uh, I do, too. I love, though, that, that we, we finally have a 2-1 split. Kelly Wanda, you know, you That's are the, the first one in forever, isn't it? It is, and thank you for being the wet blanket for this podcast. We do appreciate it. I'm the that. comics fan who didn't like the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, $200 million. Uh, I'll show you. Did, you. did you at least enjoy seeing Ginny a gutter? 
Wait, who was she? Uh, Kelly Wan, you missed it. She was one of the council. I mean, she's 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 there's a she's not in the movie. There's a movie of her in the movie, basically, because she was like with Powers Booth. Uh, You know, she was one of the council people. Are they on the same council as Fred Willard in from Wally? Like, are they going to control space? Fred Willard was a monarch in Wally. He was not in in a council. He was a dictator. I, I don't speak computer animation. Sorry. Uh, Dingus, do you know who Ginia Gutter is? So, so Ginia Gutter, you can tell, you can tell a lot about someone's childhood by asking them, at least folks our age, how they remember Ginia Gutter. Dingus, do you know who that is, and does that mean anything to you? I would have banged nope. her in Child's Play. God. <laughs> so, Kelly, one, where did like, you first um, meet Ginia Gutter? Logan's run. I'm, that walkabout's good. Was, says, will you will you slow down and say what the name you're saying is? Uh, a gutter. Yes, like, it's like the thing around your your uh, your roof, around the eaves of your your roof. Wait, is her uh, name Jennya? No, uh, Jenny. A gutter. Okay, thank you. So Kelly Wan knows her from Logan's Run, and that's not I don't know Logan's Run. I know uh, her as the chick who gets naked in the shower with the Dr Pepper dude. In American She's World, naked in Logan's Run, uh, four years younger than that. Perhaps. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't know that. I only know Americans were American Werewolf in London. You didn't see Logan's Run? No, just I'm for her. <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> time with you. Well, you know what? That's an unanswered question that maybe we'll get to in a moment. I can't believe you haven't nice. seen that. That's weird. You're Kelly, weird. what is our three by three this week? I don't think it's people who haven't seen Logan's Run. What is it instead? Did you have any final Avengers thoughts? You want to put it totally out of where they should be? Right now, uh, I wanted to know what you thought of Scarlett Johansson, but you know what? We'll maybe, we'll maybe get to that another time. Oh, uh, you don't the have chair to... thing was done in that Robert De Niro movie already. That right. killer elite. You don't have yep. a tr- trill for us. Uh, she's she's like twenty six now. I mean, come on. Back when she was 20. I do have to say, uh, this isn't a spoiler, but I am so thankful for her presence in that movie because otherwise it would have been quite the sausage fest. <laughs> and I hated her in Iron Man 2, and I loved her in yeah. this. I mean, I didn't love her. I, I thought she was fine, and, and she was, it was so much better. I don't think she was red in Iron Man 2, Dingus. You're thinking oh. of something else. Or a ledger has red on it. Dingus, you're thinking of John Favreau. Oh, uh, that's right. He's in Iron Man 2. Dum Dum Dugan. So, Kelly Wan, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? What do you got for us? Remember his line in Iron Man 2 is like, oh, she's s- strong or something. <laughs> <laughs> that was what passed for comic relief in Iron Man 2. And in Tron Legacy, he goes, he says it's a big door. Remember that one? <laughs> Fucking movies. Anyway, <laughs> my point is the 3x3 three three topic is three unanswered questions. To be distinguished from that other one we did, which was almost exactly the same. I think mine, too. Three biggest plot holes. All right, so unanswered questions. Uh, the example you gave us last week was pretty much a plot, a potential plot hole from the Alien movies. We'll see. Well, yeah, it already is, no matter what they do. Huh? Right, right. So unless they, unless they establish Prometheus that it disappears every few years, like a phantom ghost ship. All right, well, then maybe that will answer that question, and it will no longer be eligible for this uh, 3 by 3 But in the meantime, let's see what we've got. Uh, Dingus, you're introducing next week's 3 by 3 so start us off. Let us know what was your approach to this, and what's your number three choice. Uh-oh. All right, my approach to this was three unanswered questions that I do not care that weren't answered. Mm. 
I don't want the answer to them. I don't care if they weren't answered, and I'm very happy that they were not answered. Oh, so you do care. Contradiction. Oh, you got Please. me. See? Now your whole list has to be scrapped. We'll, wait. well, let's let's listen to it first, Kelly Wan. Let's see if uh, yeah, let's see if it works. So start us off with your number three dingus. Maybe give us a line from the movie. All right, Kelly Wan, I'm I'm going to ask you to cough. Cough. Uh, <clears throat> Taste it. <throat> Strawberries. This is strawberry cough. Ah, uh, right. I don't I don't recognize that. You recognize that? Yeah. yeah, Children, Children of Men and Strawberry Oh, coffee. no, I know, I know, I know. Oh, wait, no. I thought it was Children of Men, but that's something else. <sighs> it is indeed Children of Men. Oh, it is? Yeah. Wait a minute. I was convinced I had it wrong. It, well, okay, explain what what is it from Children of Men, the unanswered question from Children of Men that you didn't want answered, or that it's you're glad was not answered? Oh, so, okay, so, so I don't think we know why this uh, plague of infertility has happened. Ah, and. Good. I really don't care. Um, and so my three, my number three and my number two are very much on the same line. Um, so my number three is just children of men. There's a plague of infertility. There's no explanation at the end as, as in some pig eating a banana that a bat dropped. <laughs> uh, that sounds like something in a movie. Uh, no, I made that up. And, so, and I'm very happy that that is just, you know. That should not change my life. But I'll this is just it. it. There's a plague of infertility. You accept it, and we're moving on. Good. All right. That's I, I like that. Kelly one, how do you feel about that one? Does that does that fit your criteria? Is that what you had in mind? Yeah, it's actually a creative choice. Okay. It, I thought his criteria were too constricting and it's a it's a good one. Well, I did something similar with my list, Kelly Wand. I'll be curious mm-hmm. what you think. So You're the famous list breaker. I am the list breaker. That is uh that is that my wallet actually says list breaker on it. That is your your superpower. (laughs) So I want to explain, though, what I did with this uh, unanswered questions thing. I did something similar to Dingus in that I picked movies that pose questions, and the questions are integral to the movie. They're they're, they're part of the premise of the movie, but the movie refuses to answer the question, and I think it's better for it. Um, But before I explain these, I want to bring up a couple of instances of something that I don't consider part of this. And if you guys use these, that's fine, but I wanted to rule these out. We've talked a lot about the ends of movies that are, we, we call them ambiguous sometimes, or you know, they leave things up in the air. And I want to I distinguish between ambiguous endings and endings where I feel that it's clear what happened, but it's subtle. And examples of that where I think there's no ambiguity, and we've had arguments about these, I feel there's no ambiguity, you can draw from the movie clear information about what happens, it's not ambiguity. Examples are, I think, Pan's Labyrinth, Take Shelter, Birth, you know, these are great to argue about, but I feel there's not ambiguity there so much as subtlety. The ambiguous movies that have outcomes where you don't know what's going on, uh, a lot of movies that are examples of this are things like A Separation, Limbo, Meek's Cutoff. The conversation, you know, the movie is ambiguous in that it doesn't tell you what happens because the movie doesn't care. The point of the movie is not the outcome. You know, a lesser movie might be about that outcome, but these movies don't care about that. Um, so what I want to do with my list is is bring up movies that do care about the question, where the outcome or the, the, the result is a huge part of the movie, but it refuses to answer the question. So it's not a matter of being ambiguous. It's not a matter of being subtle. It's a matter of a movie refusing to answer a question that's been presented throughout. Uh, so my number three, for, for that example, uh, is The Fountain. 
And as you're watching The Fountain, a huge question that's being presented is how do these three timelines interact with each other? What relationship do they have to one another? And I feel that The Fountain does not answer that question. Um, so that's my number three choice. It's a, a roundabout way of explaining what I'm doing. I have two more examples like that, uh, but The Fountain is my number three. Hmm. Does that work, Kelly Wand? Yeah. It's not subtle. I don't think the answer is in there. It's not ambiguous in that, you know, the but movie. Do you have a theory? Uh, you know what? I do, but I feel that it's strictly my personal interpretation that you can't. It's not like something like Pan's Labyrinth or Birth, where I, I think you can watch the movie enough times and eventually figure it out. I, I think the fountain just refuses to answer that question. And I certainly, agree. yeah, I have a theory. Yeah. I agree with you. And I think I'm the only person who thinks they're all real. <laughs> including the Columbus stuff. But now, okay, you think that, but don't you grant that the movie doesn't necessarily tell you that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. That's just my personal thing. But yep. all, they're all equally valid, I, I agree. Um, yeah. And I was going to say mm -hmm. uh, that if it's like, I don't get annoyed if there's a 51-49 split on something at the end of a movie, but then the conversation in the fountain, I guess, aren't 51s. So I can't have that rule anymore. What do you mean the fifty-one forty-nine split? Like if you were to poll the audience, you mean? <laughs> yeah, and as to how what happened after the ending. Ah, see the like thing is, yeah. Gray. yeah. The, you know what? The gray is a good example. Like the, I don't think the gray is ambiguous or unclear. I think what happens at the end of the gray is very clear. It's subtle. It's an example like Pan's Labyrinth or Birth, or I would say Take Shelter. I know you guys disagree with me on Take Shelter, but I, I would put the gray in there. Uh, as an example of, I don't think there's any ambiguity there. But Take Shelter, I think, is like um, the fountain in that it's open to different interpretations that are equally valid in my and it, Right, and that's what I'm saying is I disagree. I, I think, and we don't have Tom, to get Yeah, Tom totally disagrees with that. I know, and I don't care. And Tom doesn't care that I don't care. <laughs> but I invite you to... Everyone listening, everyone listening, we invite you to listen to our Take Shelter podcast, and, and you can find out a lot more about that. Yeah. It's right, just so, more a difference of worldview, I think, between you and me. Fair enough. So, so Kelly Wand, uh, how did you feel about this week's 3x3, three three, and what was your number three choice? I think it was a stupid one, like most of mine, but I did it. <laughs> You know what? I loved this. Don't be hard on yourself. I, I thought it was a stupid uh, one at I first. And I was like, oh, Kelly Wan's just punting. He's picking something we've done before. But I like the way you put it, and I uh, I like the things that it made me think about. So I don't think it was stupid. So you're on your own with that. So suck it. I, I like that, that it made me watch Children of Men again, because I, I love that movie. And as happens a lot of the times with the 3x3, three three, I... Just think, I'm just going to watch the beginning and see what happens with the plague. And then I end up watching the whole thing. And Children of Men is so great. And I just, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. So You fun. know, some of us have to work for a living. We have a chance to just watch <laughs> fucking movies. We really that's, a good, that's a good point. That's and, very and by good. the way, thing is, I would, I would say Children of Men, I think, is another movie where somebody might say, oh, the ending is ambiguous. But I don't think it is. Like, it tells you exactly what it needs to know. And it's not real. Oh, oh you know what? Actually, doesn't the ending of Children of Men, isn't it pretty clear about what happens? Or am I misremembering? No, no, you're a baby. I think it's very clear, but, and we've talked doesn't about that before. <laughs> but does it show, oh. I, you know what, I don't want to spoil the ending of Children of Men, but does it show, let me just ask this, do you see a boat at the end of Children of Men? Yes. You do? Is that, okay, never mind. Dingus? Well, well, there's also, 
there's also something that happens at the end of some movies, and I and I really like that you brought up Meek's cutoff because that was early on, and then I decided to abandon that tack as well. Um, it's it's whether a movie resolves what it's going for thematically, or whether it tells you exactly what is going to happen. As in, this character did this, and this character did that. And I think that Children of Men and Meek's Cutoff resolve where they're going thematically, whether or not they tell you this is what happened. Right. They tell Exactly. Right. They, 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 what they're concerned about, they resolve. What they're not concerned about, they don't really care to tell you about what happens there. Yeah. Exactly. So. Uh-huh. All right. So, uh, Kelly Wand, you're number three. That was your number three. What, what? I didn't say anything. Fuck. Yes, you did. You said uh, Meek's Cutoff. <laughs> what like was it. your number three? I didn't say it. And, and what was your what was your uh, what was your tack on this? What was your? Oh, uh, mine are just dumb. Okay. All right, my number three is uh, I was thinking about this during the Avengers, so it's kind of topical. But I guess it more applies to Superman and to the Dark Knight. But I don't understand why any superhero has a secret identity. Because if it's Batman, you know, like, the second time he goes out, people are going to start going, well, we have one local billionaire who can afford to make all this shit. So they know who it is. They're just pretending they don't know. Although the Joker's not a billionaire. He can make shit, too. Doesn't make any sense. Maybe he's a billionaire, too. Anyway, Superman definitely doesn't need a secret identity. So that's your unanswered question, is why do superheroes have secret identities? Yeah. Okay. I have an answer for that, by the way. Why does Superman have a secret identity? Because it's a metaphor. <laughs> See, I remember asking my dad that, this question. Is that what he said, because it was a metaphor? <laughs> no, he said because uh, to protect their family. Ah, no, he doesn't have a family. That's what I'm saying. Nate, there's not one Hello, reason. who is Aunt May? Aunt May and Uncle Ben Superman? are his family. Those are his the family Spider-Man. members. Dude, they oh, don't know. Whatever, whatever their names are, the, the people at the farm. That's they his already family. get captured. Dude, in all the Spider movies, they're constantly getting captured already, so what's the point? You, you see already, all the Spider Aunt movies? <laughs> Spider Man movies. In every movie with a spider, Aunt May gets captured, even when she's not in the movie. She's really bad luck. She's a Jonah. So just just to clarify, Kelly Wan, you're not narrowing it down to one movie. I think though. with I mean, Superman, no, I'm going to say Superman because that's the one. There's because I think the theory was, oh, he's he works at a newspaper, so he'll, he'll find out about a bank robbery sooner. But in the Superman Returns, he's got his hearing on above the Earth, and he's not doing any newspapering. So he's just waste. He's just uh, he's being a dick. <laughs> Doesn't he just want to be a regular guy? Why? That's he's not. Is it? Oh, because of Lois. Weak. All right, that's my number three, Superman. All right. Uh, which which one though? Everything else makes sense. Uh, the, every, Zack, the Zack Snyder one. <laughs> Isn't there an upcoming Zack Snyder one? Or am I just making that up? The Visionary. Yeah, you're, you're right. right. I think because the dude from Immortals is playing it. Oh God, that's right. Oh, Dingus. Why must you constantly vex me by reminding me about things from the Immortals? Oh, God. He vexes me. Dingus, what is your number two choice for an unanswered question? Hey, remember a- uh, in Superman Returns, the thing hit his eye, and then in Sucker Punch, the thing hit her eye. So maybe that was what Zack Snyder will bring to Superman. All right, Superman, wear protective eyewear. That's my advice I- to you. I need an eyeball. <laughs> 
<laughs> Dingus, quit making references to the Avengers. You're just excluding Kelly Wand. Yeah, you comics nerds. Dingus, what is your number two choice for an unanswered question in a film or motion picture event? All right, here's a little bit of dialogue. For mm, good. I will not forget your voice, and I won't forget your face. Uh, it sounds like something from Cold Mountain. I forget this line, and I forget who said it. I forget the mouth that shaped the words, and I forget the face around them. All right, I, as I said, this is very much along the same lines as my uh, number three selection. This is a movie from 2008, directed by Fernando Marielis, named or called blindness. And so there's a plague of blindness that happens, and we don't know why it happens. Ah, right. And, uh, I have an answer and, to that, Dingus. I know another why. Another plague. Wait, okay, know, good. I have an answer. Ready for this, Dingus? Yes. It's a metaphor. Oh, God. <laughs> I thought it was an allegory. It might be a simile. <laughs> so uh, go ahead, Dingus. Sorry, I cut you off, but yeah. No, I, I, my my justification is the same as the first one. I I have no idea, I, and I don't care. Uh, I just like that it's this. This is where we're going. Launch, go, and uh, I'm just happy that it's not a pig eating a banana dropped by a bat. <laughs> now, Dingus, you're so hard on that poor movie Contagion by Steven Soderbergh, who directed a movie you love called Haywire. But I don't know. Do you do you have the same harsh treatment for like say? Now I know this won't be your number one, so I don't. I feel okay bringing it up. Uh, Twenty eight days later, where it's a monkey you got out of a cage. Uh, doesn't that happen at the beginning? Yeah, yeah, and I'm fine with that. I, I, okay. What I what I don't want is is somebody at the end explaining the mystery to me that that I've already bought into. And in both of the movies I already mentioned, Blindness and Children of Men, I've already decided to go along with you. And you don't have to then at the end tack on something that shows me, uh, oh, by the way, this is the end of Psycho. I don't need it. You don't, you don't, if, you don't want a lot of techno babble. You don't need your techno babble in your movies. No, I just I bought into your premise, so let's go. You have, you have great characters and great writing, and I don't need them. But what if it's at the beginning, like 20 days later? Then like it's okay. I said, uh, well, I, yeah, I was just being facetious with bringing that up. 28 Days Later is very, like, it It wants to take a different sort of scientific-y approach. Uh, like, Children of Men, I think, is much more, like, I don't think it's it has uh, that kind of parable aspect to it that blindness has. But Children of Men just knows when to play it close to the vest. It knows what's important to it. And that gets to the way that it ends. You know, it begins the way that it ends, unconcerned with things that don't matter about its narrative arc. Uh, I love that about it. Whereas 28 Days Later wants to definitely have this kind of scientific underpinning with, with what they're talking about. And plus, you're getting something that that gives you a launching off point so that we can then have the title card 28 Days Later. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> We'd have to name it something else if they didn't have that awesome bit with the monkeys. Like, now, nah, hey, look what's happening. That's what otherwise what it would be called. <laughs> And that's not a very scary title. It's not a very that's harder to market. Right, because you don't because it's scarier that you know exactly how long it's taken. Right. That's the scary part. It taps into our fear of Metacritic. <laughs> right. Uh, all right, my number two, speaking of uh, weird, awful titles, uh, my number two uh, is from a director who makes a habit of posing questions in his movies and then not answering them. 
So pretty much anyone, I can think of three of his movies that do this, but I'm going to choose my favorite. Uh, the director's name is Michael Haneke, and he even has one of the movies that does this is called, I could be screwing this up, I think it's called Code Unknown. Um, and it, it refuses to answer the central question it's posing. Another movie that we all saw on this podcast, White Ribbon. White Ribbon refuses to answer the question that is posed throughout. But my favorite example of one of his movies that does this, and the title is a definite clue that this is what you're in for because the title implies something that is hidden, uh, is Cash. Uh, and I don't even, in a way, want to say what the central question is. I, it's one of these things that I'd just as soon not talk about it. Uh, but if you're okay with movies that pose questions and refuse to answer them, uh, I recommend Cash. Uh, and hmm. that's my number two choice. I should see that. You probably like should. Example. And don't, uh, that's the great one. don't look, don't see, you know, C-A-S-H. Because you'll probably end for some like heist movie. Uh, it's a French word, C A C H E, and there's probably one of those little, I don't know, accent aigus on it somewhere. For all I know, so just make sure to look up French. So don't get tango and cachet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Be careful of that one by accident. Yeah, which I have done. That was the porn one. Never mind. Uh, well, Kelly, one, it's your choice. What is your? It's your turn. What is your number two choice, choice. for a uh, an unanswered question in a movie? Uh, I don't understand why in The Exorcist, the devil gives her Linda Blair superpowers, like a neck that turns all the way around, because I don't think that's punishment. That kind of goes with dinguses, like things that aren't explained. and Dinguses are about medical plagues, and mine are about demons possessing your spine yeah but that's just like a medical issue once you understand it though it's just like yeah, a medical she issue where that would she do that in the richard burton one she go hey check this shit out it wasn't all bad and then she spins her neck around like he, that would change you could give yourself fellatio oh i guess with her it's oh, the word for right. that tom it's fine too <laughs> Auto you were a theology, theologian. Auto-tune. Is the word for that? Right. I would like to now recommend a movie to you called Short Bus. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Seriously, Kelly Wad, watch a movie. Uh, it's by the same guy that Short. did Hedvig and the Angry Inch, and he also did Rabbit oh. Hole. So after Hedvig, but before Rabbit Hole, he did a movie called Short Bus, and I think you can get all you need out of it in the first... And that's got to be like, what, 15, 20 minutes in, wouldn't you say, Dingus? Yes. <laughs> so well, there you go. go by the Short bus and uh, you'll have all kinds of interesting fuel for uh, for various Latin words that probably don't exist. Hmm. Uh, all right, The Exorcist. Kelly wants number two. Dingus, what is your number one pick for an unanswered question in a movie? All right, here's a quote from it. Mm-hmm. What? Dingus is trying to do something from season, I think, two of Lost. Oh, it's uh, the Whispering Children in Lost. Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah, it could be. He was He's trying to do the music. The lake. He doesn't right. understand why Jason is immortal, <laughs> which is a little puzzling. Uh, Dingus, I don't know what you think you were doing, but uh, I don't think it was from a movie. All right, it is my contention that there's two kinds of people in this world. Um those who are pissed off that we don't get to hear what Bob Harris says to Charlotte at the end of Boston Translation, and those who realize that not knowing is what makes them. No. Oh. 
See, because this is one where I think that, uh, like, it's, it's ambiguity, absolutely, but I think the movie doesn't care. Like, it, to the movie, I mean, and you know what, that's just, it doesn't, I'm not trying to invalidate it from, from your pick, and I, I, you know what, I'm basically agreeing with you. It's an, unanswered, <laughs> it's an unanswered question, and the movie doesn't care about the answer, and neither should you. It's the fact yep. something was said, and that therefore there is an openness, that, like, there's an open-ended resolution, if one at all, uh, is, is what matters. I think but I, I think I, he goes, I farted on your cock. <laughs> That's just my theory. Kelly one, are you like how and that you can lip read and tell what they're saying? Uh, only in this timeline, not in the other two fake ones. He can butt read. Uh, I can short bus. <laughs> you didn't rent that, Kelly Wand. Do. Go for it. I dare you. Wow. So Lost in Translation, that's a very good pick. Um oh. And I liked Dingus's rendition of the dialogue. At least it wasn't another plague. <laughs> That's, you know Although, what? I kind of thought he was going to do a three. Yeah. 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 It was a plague no, of, of uh, deafness, if you think about it. He did blindness, deafness, and infertility. So there is a movie. Oh, there's a movie. I want to say it's called something terrible, like Perfect Sense. And it's <laughs> something with. Terrible. <laughs> I didn't know it's uh, it's with uh, Ewan McGregor and Eva Green, and it's one of those uh, unexplained plague apocalypses. And I actually have an answer for it, and the answer is it's a metaphor. Uh, and in this movie, people uh, over time they lose each of their senses, and they start off losing their sense of taste. Then I think they lose their hearing. Uh, eventually they lose their sense of touch, and the movie ends with everyone going blind. Wait, I left one of them out. Uh, but anyway, over time, everybody in the world lo- progressively loses one of the five senses. Uh, it's a horrible movie. I don't recommend it. But uh, what's it called? It's called like the I think it's called the perfect sense or the perfect touch or the senses perfect or something like that. Oh, Tom. Um, but it could have been be? it could have been Dingus's number one pick. I'm glad he didn't choose that. I've never heard of this fucking movie. No, nobody has. It, 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 yeah, it's it's just some weird little art house movie. You thought that was going to be Dingus's number one. If he wanted to do a trifecta of right. unexplained plagues, he could have picked the perfect sense. Yeah. Well, the Ten Commandments has like ten plagues that they're explained. <laughs> I think it's a commandment per, commandment per plague. Isn't that how it works in the Old Testament? Uh, I only think um, they had a couple. Theology. No, they only had a couple. I don't know. Tom, explain. Did you guys talk about the exorcist neck thing in theology, Harvard School? Yeah, there's a long Latin word for that. Is it like a whole exorcist course? Like, you got to do a thesis on the exorcist movies. Uh, the exorcist is a movie about religion. I'll grant you that. All sure. right. Kelly Wan, would you like to know my number one pick for yes. an unanswered question in a movie? Mm-hmm. I find this movie... Profound, like Dingus, I think likes all of his three movies. I found this movie, even though I think it's good, I find it profoundly frustrating. Uh, but I think it is a, uh, you know, that's intentional. And it's freaking David Fincher, and he makes a movie. There's really no other way to do this. He makes a movie about the Zodiac killer. It's called Zodiac. Mm. And by the time it's over, it's of course he can't explain who did it because nobody knows. It's uh, you know it's a documentary of sorts. Um, so I find that movie so frustrating for how it doesn't resolve. And he even does manipulative little things in the movie, like uses a different actor to play the killer in each of the murder scenes. I mean, how how screwy is that to do to people? He does say, suggest who it is, though. 
Right, but it's completely unresolved. It's unanswered. I mean, you can watch it and sort of think, okay, that guy seems more guilty than that guy. Like, I, I watched it and thought, well, it's got to be that dude. But the movie doesn't back me up on that. I would think the movie uh, would want to back me up on that, but it doesn't. It doesn't? No, it's an unanswered question, wouldn't you say? I thought he, he goes to see the dude, and they exchange a look, and you go, oh, it's that dude. Isn't that so it is that dude? Isn't it the typesetter? It's the dude who melts in Volcano. <laughs> I could be misremembering it, but I got the impression after seeing Zodiac that it was very, that it was indeed ambiguous, that it did not answer the question as far as who it, it was. Dingus, back me up. Tom's high. Yeah, Dingus, back one of us up. Who, do you, who are you voting with? You've seen Zodiac, right, Dingus? Of course, a couple of times. And uh, the first time it didn't really work for me, but I think it's a really good uh, document. I, I don't know how else to put it, but you're absolutely right, Tom. I don't know what Kelly's talking about. Mm. So Kelly, have it's you seen the... have you okay. seen those uh, those movies about the West Memphis Three, uh, the the kids in West Memphis that uh, were arrested for the murder of the three Boy Scouts and they they spent time in jail and it became a, a celebrity cause and they've recently oh, been... Paradise Lost. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen those, Kelly Wand? Uh, I think I heard about them. They're they're similarly similar to Zodiac. They're profoundly frustrating in that they're about they're this they're these exhaustive looks at these at, they're exhaustive looks all three movies at this horrible crime and how you can't really know who did it. You, you know somebody can be arrested somebody can be convicted but there can still you know questions can still remain it can still be an, an incredibly frustrating unresolved issue and I I got that sense from Zodiac. Um, Hmm. I would have picked the Paradise Lost things, but those aren't movies. They're, you know, of course, they're documentaries, not movies. Right. So, totally different sensory apparatus necessary. To watch <laughs> uh, all right, so there's my number one. I have a bunch of runners up that I'll save for a moment. But first, Kelly Wand, I want to know. You chose this topic. What would you pick as your number one instance of an unanswered question? Uh, I don't understand in Jaws too. Oh God. <laughs> 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 Alright, the rest of the movie makes perfect sense. I'll grant you. But these, it's sort of a, I don't understand why nobody believes Brody again. I know why. I have an answer. Because it's, it's a metaphor. <laughs> and why isn't Hooper there to back him up again? What I Jeff have an answer for that. What? Because Richard Dreyfus was busy doing Goodbye Girl. Mm. I don't know if that's true. Why isn't Robert Shaw in it? Uh, hello? Oh. I made five dollars off you once, Kelly Wand, on on the, the timeline of events in Jaws. I will I will bilk you for more money if need be. It just seems weird. He has a picture and people are getting eaten, and everyone laughs at like ah, it's that guy who killed the shark six months ago. Fuck that guy. Boo. I have a question, Kelly Wand, about Jaws too. Yeah. It's a physics question. Maybe you can help me with this. If not, maybe Dingus can. So there's an electrical cable running underwater. The shark bites into it. Is a shark in water grounded? Would that shock him? It's not underwater when he bangs on it. It's above water. It right, makes the shark, shark come out of the water. Right, but the shark isn't grounded, is it? Uh, I don't know. So I recently I watched the... Yes, the, water counts as ground. We stop. Yeah, water's liquid What do you mean? Ground. But it's not on the ground. He's not touching the ground. He's just um, in the water. It's called planet Earth, even the water parts. <laughs> okay, um, well, here's the real question I have. I recently oh, watched the 1954 
uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. <laughs> and when all of the offensive racial stereotypes attack the submarine and jump on it, uh, you know, James Mason turns on the little electricity thing that electrifies the hull. <laughs> so a barefoot native standing on the hull of the Nautilus, would he be shocked? Because he's not grounded. He's just standing on the hull, right? It depends on your complexion. Oh, Kelly, one you would go there, uh, but, but physics-wise, that's not right. Like if you if you stand on an electrified thing and you're not touching water or anything else, it's not going to hurt you, is it? But the boat's ground. Dingus, help us out here. Uh, so why does Joseph Mazzello get knocked off the fence? He's not standing on the ground. Does the air count as ground? But that is a good. <laughs> hey, when Thor calls lightning and he's flying and he's not grounded, shouldn't he be grounded because the kid from uh, Chronicle called lightning and he was in the air? At the oh, that's a good one, too, Kelly. Watt. That's a good one, too. Yeah. Chronicle's right. full of it. All right, enough about physics. Uh, so, other runners up for unanswered questions. Enough about physics. That's what we were talking about. <laughs> Tom's our This has resident. been the physics portion yeah. of this podcast. If you think we're stupid about movies. <laughs> uh, I have a runner up. I have one runner up. What's your okay, runner let me up? tell you guys about my runner up real quick. I've talked about this before. I'm going to talk about it again until I get an answer to this. So, you know, when you go to the theater, before the movie starts, there's oh, a little. Think is set up. I have to explain this, Dingus, to the people. I have to get this out. So, you know, you go to the theater, and for each theater chain, they have some kind of little intro trailer movie tag before they show the previews. And then they show the previews, and they have another theater chain tag saying, you know, now here, enjoy your feature. So for AMC theaters here in Southern California, before we do the previews, we show three kids. It's a little ethnically diverse makeup. I think it's two chicks and a dude uh, walk into the th across the street into the theater. Pretty straightforward. Now, when we cut to the movie starting after the trailers, we now see in their seats these three kids and some random creepy black dude. He's in the right age group. But he's not creepy. He's clean cut. But they didn't. He All did, black but, people are creepy. But he didn't show up with them. He wasn't there when they go to the theater. Mm. So they're walking into the theater, and this guy, and there's an empty seat next to him, by the way. So he could have sat in the empty seat, but instead he sat right next to them. Now, here's the thing. Maybe he's a buddy who joined them, right? Like, they came in, they saved the seat. They're like, oh, hey, hey, random black dude, you're our friend. Here's the seat we saved for you. However, that's clearly not the case, because then with all the magic stuff happens, where the seats turn into these, like, otherworldly fairy kind of thrones so that they can behold the movie, that kid is not included. So my mystery is who is that kid? Is he or is he not with them? Why doesn't he get magic fairy throne, throne treatment? Uh, and I, uh, I just want to know this stuff. A, this isn't a movie. It's a documentary. So it should be <laughs> Fair point. All right. Um, but also, he's a creature of the forest. Oh, he's like a leprechaun. Yeah. All right. I imagine he's the one saving the seats for them. Right. In that case, he should be included in the fairy throne treatment. Maybe so. he's the director. He's like inserting himself in the shot like Hitchcock. Well, you know what? If you're from AMC Theaters, uh, tweet us. Let us know what's going on with That's that. That's weird because I never noticed that. Like, I'm always creeped out by the blonde chick's glassy gaze. She is like freaky. She's got black eyes like a doll's eyes. Like, yeah. she would be hot, but she's in this commercial. Yeah. Very scary. And now, yeah, it's doomed us all. She's definitely got a Stepford girl kind of thing going. Also, if they're watching a movie, the magic's happening under their fucking chairs. That's a weird emphasis, isn't it? 
It's a metaphor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is right. the last a metaphor that disappears? It could be. It could be. Tom, what are they trying to tell us? Uh, other unanswered questions. Other runners up. Dingus, you've got to have some. Yeah, I've got a couple. What do you got? Uh, I'd like to know where the Ark of the Covenant is now. Mm. Don't they? Re- we already know the answer to that. They answered that in Crystal Skull. Yeah, they Go. did. Yeah. No, I, I, that's not canon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that one's canon, and the and Raiders isn't canon. All right. And I also want to know wh- where's where's Katie Featherston now. And uh, Hunter. I remember the kid's name. I hate that I know. Oh, that's name. right. Very good. I hate so, that I know the kid's name. Fuck. I know where I she is. I guess she's on. Uh, she's on um, the river. Oh God, Tom! What? <laughs> she got possessed by a demon and went on to be a part of the cast of an of a crappy. Whoa, whoa, series. whoa, whoa! Yeah. She's not on the river now, is she? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. She was in oh, the last shit. two episodes. What? Hey, wait a minute. Why are you watching the river still? Is my first question. Well, I'm not because it's over. How how many episodes did you watch of that fucking thing? All of them. What? You watched you watched more than two hours of the river. How did you do that? Tell you one, when I invest in a show, I'm there to the the bitter end, even if it's awful. And Katie Featherstone's on it. She shows up in I think the last two episodes. Yeah, uh, and uh, which is probably a bad move because we know she's been possessed by the demon, and we we know that she ate that little baby at the end of Paranormal Activity. No, that's not canon. That's that's you know what it it goes back to movies that are subtle, not ambiguous. <laughs> Catfish, the river. Uh. Uh, here you go. Here's one for you guys. Uh, just because I want an excuse to mention this movie. Uh, there's this. I I did not expect to like this movie. It showed up in my Netflix queue, and I quite loved it. There's a movie called Rody with Ron Eldard, <laughs> who I don't really like. Talk about made for TV. Uh, but he is so good in Rody as this kind of lost, vapid pudgy, middle-aged, funny-looking, failure, loser character. He's already uh, middle-aged. Well, you can see the age in his face. I mean, he's got... It's a midlife crisis movie. It's one of these things like Sideways or uh, Young Adult. Uh, it's that kind of thing. The Weatherman. Like, I would put it in those categories. Uh, but the unanswered question that starts the movie, he gets fired from being a roadie for Blue Oyster Cult, and they never explain why. Hmm. <laughs> So there you go. That's no There's nothing intimated that you. Nope. They don't return his. Oh, that's a metaphor. Maybe he's wearing a headdress. <laughs> oh, you know what? You could be right, Kelly. One that could be a metaphor. Yeah. He has a sporan. Uh, one of the things I love about Rhodey is it has that obligatory scene where he's like crying and going, eh, "My father never loved me." You know that kind of thing that you get in these these like, like in Avengers. <laughs> dare you? <laughs> but he's doing that. And do you know who Lois Smith is? Do you guys know who she is? No. It's a fun name, though. She's awesome. How could you not know she is? Anyway, she plays his mother, and he's crying, saying, eh, my father never loved me. And she slaps him and tells him to grow the fuck up, <laughs> you know, during his, like, obligatory redemptive scene that you would hate Kelly Wand. Awesome. Um, <laughs> she Jackie Weaver's his ass. Ah, uh, spoiler. Oh, I was thinking Jackie Earl Haley. No, Jackie Weaver. Yes, very good. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> if she could Avengers has done to Tom's brain. <laughs> if she had Jackie Earl Haley'd his ass, she would cut off his hands with it with a power saw. Mm. <laughs> that would be fine too. I have no problem with that. <laughs> that would work. My answer question is where they get a power saw. Never mind. Sometimes you have to cut wood in prison, Kelly Wand. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a metaphor, Kelly Wand. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, Kelly, did you have a, a runner-up for us? Yeah, I, I've already mentioned, I don't understand, and it always bothers me, that in Final Destination, mm-hmm. why are they getting premonitions and making death work overtime? Because he's not doing it. It's like someone's fucking with death. Someone's I know the pretty- answer to that. It's because okay. a jet engine fell through a wormhole. Dude, that thing. Uh, <laughs> I watched. I listened to the whole commentary track. For Donnie Darko, right. Right. Nothing. That isn't a shit. Uh, I recently saw, and I recommend, uh, I'll just say, there's a movie that I love. It kind of answers questions, but I love how it only gives part of the answer. Uh, There's a really cool Argentinian horror movie called Penumbra uh, that I love about, I I love how close it plays to the vest, even after you've gotten the payoff. Like, it has a very satisfying payoff. Um... But as far as answering questions, it's not. It doesn't really care. Uh, so. Someone told me that after Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, he goes, "Yeah, it was implied that they broke up after that." Constantly, <laughs> and I'm like, "What? They get together? What are you talking about?" Wait, like, what? <laughs> am I dumb? I thought it was pretty obvious that they don't... You know, maybe I'd have to say I haven't seen that in, in a few years. I haven't even thought about that movie in ten years. I'm by no means... I'm sure Dingus will find time to watch it six times this week. Uh, uh, after I watch the Synecdoche. I'm going to watch mm. Synecdoche several times. Synecdoche? Anyway, Logan's run for Tom and Synecdoche for Dingus. All right, you drunk hobos. What is next week's 3 by 3 Too soon. I just want to say that Alan Silvestri did the music for Avengers, Ooh, and he also did the music for Reindeer Games. Oh, which that's was, the which right. Was, yeah, ju- hence the little jab at the movie Reindeer Games. Uh, all right. You it's know what, a I'm jab a, for it. I don't know if you guys know this about me. I'm a Reindeer Games apologist. You're not the only one. Oh, good. Right. Okay. So, yeah, there's two of us. Suck it, Kelly Wand. We like both the Avengers and Reindeer Games. What do you think of that? Uh, you're dumb? <laughs> Sadly for you, the, the joke comes first in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. A Reindeer Games joke? Yeah, it's said directly to Ben Affleck. Oh. See, Kevin Smith even thinks it's dumb. That's how dumb you guys are. You're dumber than him. I was liking it. In Dingus, what do you got? Speaking of dumb, Dingus, what do you got for our 3x3 three three next week? All right, well, Wikipedia defines graffiti as writing or drawing scribbled, scratched, or sprayed illicitly on a wall or other surface in a public place. So what I'm asking you to do, this will be very simple, but it might require you to think. Uh, what's your favorite graffiti, or should I say graffito, I guess, uh, in a movie? Uh, now, I would on. prefer... Yeah. Um, something involving writing, because that's uh, so a couple things I watched triggered this, and I, I like that background writing that has some meaning, but it's it's a graffiti or graffito. I um, Dingus, um, wait, wait, Dingus, I have a question for you. Do you think here? Do you think Kelly Wand is going to say, "Does American graffiti count"? Do you think that's what he's going to say? I don't, but I think he's going to ask about. Somebody spray painting a uh, shark fin on a sign. Oh, good point. Let's hold, hold on. Let's go. Oh, so Kelly One, what do you think of next week's three by three? Well, I know there's writing involved in this, but if you spray anything in a public place, is that graffiti? <laughs> One, two. Three. Uh, okay, so speaking. Of- I win.
Speaking of spraying things in public places, let's see Dark Shadows next week. Oh. Oh. I don't know. Uh, join us for Dark Shadows, Tim Burton's new movie, and our 3x3 three three of uh, graffiti. Favorite instances of graffiti in a motion picture. Uh, we'll bring you that. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Moretsky. Mer- uh, yeah, it's Christian Moroski. And Kelly Wand. Yes, I'll tell my candidate after this music. I did cut off your candidate, didn't I? Oh, I suck. Okay, Kelly what is yeah, what is this week's candidate? Oh, this week's candidate. Just wanna say that occasionally the sun comes out here and you get really excited for a second, like George Clooney at the end of Perfect Storm, and then it gets shitty again, just like in Perfect Storm, like when he's all oh yeah, I'm in a movie. It's not called Perfect Sunset. And then he dies. So, Kelly Wan, would you say that's a metaphor? <sighs> hey, I do. I understand that reference. <laughs>